put yourself in an environment where you can learn fast, like wherever, wherever it is, like whether it's an, an organization in a similar industry to where you want to be in your startup or whether there's like specific facets of any other organization that you can learn from, do it. And most importantly, again, depending on where you are, be quite open with what you do on the, on the outside, because to me at least, and it might not be the same for other um, employers, but if I'm seeing that someone has more skills to their armory than just their basic CV and where they went to uni or where they did an apprenticeship or what grades they got at A-level, and I can see that you've kind of created your own experience by starting something up, but you want to take a step back from that or you want to do it on the side. To me, I find that way more impressive than someone who I'm just looking at their grades. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. We talk to these people about risk. Risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off, and when they didn't. And on today's show, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Endu Uche. Did I get that right? Ish, kind of. Endu. Endu, Endu. Endu Uche. Uche, I'm Uche. sorry. Yeah, that's right. Do you know what it is? I, I don't know about you, but dyslexia and... Um, names which i don't usually recognize which is ironic because i have one of those <laughs> names as well you, you think i'd be better at by now mm, Nah, it gets like that it's cool yeah well thank you so much for coming on the show and no, i really appreciate it thank you for having me so really interesting story that you've got in terms of starting with a commercial corporate career and then obviously building something along the side which did it start as a side hustle initially yeah, it started, you know what, I guess similar to, to your journey with Real Talk and Real Sports, like we, myself and my business partner, a very good friend of mine, Heil, um, we were at uni in our final year up in Manchester. And I guess you're in that final year, you're in the in that space where you're just like, what the hell do I do with my degree that I've spent a lot of money on and three years doing? And like you're, you know, in the midst of applying for grad jobs. And within that conversation, we were like, you know, if we were to ever start our own business, like what would that look like? The one thing that we knew that we were quite good at as a group of friends was just having debates. Like, you know, as I'm sure anybody in uni understands, you go on a night out, you come back, you're in your in your dorm rooms or you're in your living room with your mates and you're just having conversations about like, everything from mm. gender politics to sex to religion like everything that you could think of but then you look on the tv and the depiction of young people is just not that yes. like it's it's completely far removed from the realities of 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 the nuance of young people and so talking about government funding we decided to ultimately use some of our student loan to go and buy a camera because the one thing that we were sure as hell we wanted to do was depict our realities a bit better and um it actually came very free very close to um a day where like you know i finally found myself in a uni library <laughs> and me and my me and my friend were on the way home on our street that we, we rent in a russell group university and uh like a massive police van just like swerved onto the sh onto the um, road came out jumped out held us up against the fence and started aggressively stopping and searching us wasn't the first time it, it happened won't be the last either but to us it was like a real reminder that doesn't matter where you are in society like you could be at in the upper echelons or wherever you are that the aesthetic of you as a person from any any group will always precede that that was the that was the turning point of us saying to ourselves we need to 
do something about this. Like we need to better portray and depict the realities of young people in news, media, marketing, what have, what have you. And for us, the thing that we decided to do was buy a camera and start to go onto campus mm -hmm. and asking people their opinions on current affairs, news, various topics. Um, and that's why it's called Word on the Curb. We were literally just on the street getting the word from uni students. And that was our kind of our, our first kind of foray into doing this as a, as a bit of a passion project, as you said. Wow. And did you find you were getting traction quickly on those videos? It was funny because like we didn't actually put the videos anywhere okay. <laughs> until we got <laughs> until we graduated. And then when we moved back down to London, we were away from that campus environment. And so, you know, we could do Vox Pops, we could do that kind of stuff. We, we struggled with the direction of doing Vox Pops with just random Londoners yeah. um, initially. So we decided to flip it a little bit and, and do spoken word video content. Um, at the time, like Jamal Edwards, rest in peace, like was very much like pushing that kind of platform on YouTube and like, how do we engage with people through music? And we were like, well, you know, spoke, everyone wants to be a spoken word poet at this moment in time. Like, why don't we try and find an ecosystem to challenge spoken word artists to keep things concise and speak about topical issues and so that's that's how we then kind of turned the initial phase at uni into something a bit more of like a creative venture and used youtube as a platform and then very quickly we started to amass like a massive audience online um and i guess not just from a following perspective but we we noticed very early on that people were quite passionate about the the topics we were focused on mm. and so you know they'd like find our email address and email us to say like, how do I get involved? And we didn't really know at the time, how the hell do you get involved <laughs> beyond like being on the on, on camera? But we knew the importance of mm. an engaged community and having ultimately a database. So we continue to pretty much like collect the data from people who were interested in the content that we um, were producing. And then fast forward to now, like we understand how we can use that, which is through you know, research-led and insight-led creative communications as an agency, basically. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and I want to dive into that, but take me back to that point where you're starting to see some really amazing traction. You're seeing a lot of people identifying with the mission. And, you know, when you've got people hunting you down saying, mm. how can I get involved? You know, that, that, that screams real market demand, right? So at that point, are you faced with a decision then you go all in on this? Are you looking at, well, you also need to make money in the short term because mm -hmm. as we know, building entrepreneurial activity takes a while to monetize. So yeah. what are you going through in that moment in terms of how you're prioritizing things and the, the decisions you've got to make about your future? Mm. The decisions are for me were taken away like by my parents, to be honest. It was like, you know, we sent you to uni, you know, you, we wanted you to be a doctor. You failed at that quite quickly. <laughs> because you were doing your whole student event stuff. Now you've come back from Manchester with a camera. Like, what are you doing? You've got a biomedical material science degree. And um, there was just no way that I was gonna be able to go all in at that stage without, to your point, an understanding of revenue and money. Because also, as well as that being the reality, I don't think we ever really thought at that point that we're doing this to earn money anyway. Mm. It was just something that we we did as a bit of a passion project yeah. and we're quite good at it. Um, and yeah, my parents were just like, just go and get a bloody job. Like, yeah, yeah. Go and, so so I I got um I secured a place on a, on the grad scheme at L'Oreal 
in um, February February 2014. So I graduated in July 2013, and in that in that space of time, we were kind of like doing our own video content, working part time here and there. But then in February 2014, it was like, okay, cool, you've now gone and got a full time job. Yeah, my business partner, he got a job at ITV. Mm -hmm. Um, so we kind of like had the old nine to five, five to nine. We we still carried on the the YouTube channel. We were still creating content, but very much like in our spare time, not really even spare time, but yeah. in our outside time. Um, but yeah, it was like find a way to make money. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing I always say is um, it was a massive benefit. Like being in a multinational organization that makes loads of money, you're able to, you know, a, a very good family friend of mine always said to me like very early on, learn how to lose other people's money before you lose yours. And it's like, you know, taking the risks in an organization is way yeah. easier because, you know, you like you don't know the person who's losing the money. You're and not you can, gonna feel that yeah, pain. Yeah, you're not the feeling same the pain. <laughs> um and, and to me that's always been like a piece of advice. And I hate giving advice because it's always, you know, up to up to you whether you take it. And it's mm. also very much like depends on who you are as a person. But for me that piece of advice was was very transformational because you can do that but then also you, you have an ecosystem where in our case we realized how terrible some big organizations are mm. at reaching their end consumer mm. and how for them when they found out what i was doing it, at first i kept it hidden and then they found out and it was like wow like this is amazing like you can help us to do our youth engagement strategy on digital so yeah. you start to build name for yourself in the lane that you've created in an organization you know they call it entrepreneurship yeah and so like i found that very very helpful now especially you see you can always look back but now to the success of the business is very much in those like understanding how big organizations work mm. and then you can apply that knowledge very much so in in your organization so at the time yeah it was like go and get a job and and and, and grow in that job uh, super interesting though because you're right you know the um list of clients that you've worked with now is so impressive in terms of, of the businesses that you've been able to to monetize and you know being the startup world my, myself businesses can take five years before they can pull in the names that you you've pulled in and a lot of them don't make it that long mm. because they, they aren't able to to get revenue along the way whatever it might be um but you're right getting that uh, insight on both sides of the table and understanding how a multinational will approach a situation you can only ever get that expertise by being in there yourself so I can see why that would be such a massive benefit mm. and so I think you, you went full-time 2017 right you made the the, the jump then yeah and what were the sort of indicators to you that now's the time to go because it's one of the things that I speak to so many people who are doing the side hustle thing and a lot of people ask for advice. When's the time to, to jump yeah. ship? I would love to get your view. <laughs> um, so whilst I said like earlier on that, you know, we didn't have an intention of like understanding revenue, but we understood it very quickly. So I think within a year, our first revenue client was Channel 4. Mm -hmm. And they came to us and were like, you guys are making content that we want to make on our news platform. Engaging the audiences that you guys are engaging, we're struggling to do so. So can you help us in our news platform? So between 2014 and 2016, it was like ad hoc projects with Channel 4 um, and we did it very consistently. 
Um, and then we added like the Guardian and then a few like government organizations to the name. Obviously, it was a bit it was a bit more like news and current affairs in the initial phases. So that's kind of probably reflection of the organizations that we worked with at the time. And so when that happened, that's when I guess like my natural entrepreneurial mind was like, hang on a minute. Cool. Here's the opportunity then. Mm. Organizations are struggling to reach with younger audiences with minority demographics and we are not so that's our cell like at a very base level um and so when that happened in 2014 i was like, all right well i've always been that kid like we spoke about at uni but then even before that that one who'd buy crispy cream donuts by the dozen and sell them individually yep. bit of a loan shark as well i'd like don't worry if you've not got money today that's cool you can pay me double tomorrow so like, what does that look like within what we've created? And um, so I said, me and Hyle were saying to ourselves, right, let's keep a track. The moment that we make enough money to pay ourselves like the bare minimum mm -hmm. to just survive for a year is the moment that we'll go full time. Yeah. And that's what we said. Amazing. And that's so, a really good benchmark. Yeah. And so we we got to that 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 stage. We I mean, we were, we were both living at home still so i guess like in some respect that that amount of money was a bit wasn't as much as it would need to be if you were renting yeah of course. um and so yeah we, we we got to that point we got to that number and then i said you know like let's do it like let's let's just do it and i i think the thing that i always say just from experience is of course it's a risk of course but it's also a risk to stay in your in your job like and so I I said there's no way that if this fails we couldn't go and get another job yeah. having done what we've done already and the experience that we're going to get from trialing something there's absolutely no way that we won't get a job again mm. so let's just do it in my case because of the parents that, <laughs> that I have whilst they could see the success of the early success of the business they like heard my name on tv read out by john snow it was still not like it was still not enough for them to be fully confident and i understand it like different demographic different set of circumstances you know their their life experiences i completely understand it so the thing that i just said to just build a bit more confidence was let me take a sabbatical okay so that that time when we made enough money that the the money number coincided with being at l'oreal for three years and at, th at the three-year mark they allow you to take a year sabbatical it's, wow. re it's really great actually that's crazy um so i did that and i said to my mum and dad like look i'm going back in a year let yeah. me just try try this out for a year um and and that's basically what happened wow that's amazing and i think when you uh, are involved with a corporate that's that understanding but also sounds like was so receptive to what you were doing and, mm. and really helped you along the way i mean that, that's amazing um, and I think there is a lot to be, I'm normally the first to dismiss working in a corporate, yeah. um, but I think everyone I've spoken to has given me very good reasons for why it helped them within their entrepreneurial journey. And I think the reality is if you're an entrepreneur, you'll always be an entrepreneur and you'll always make the most out of the set of experiences that you do have and yeah. apply them into the world that's going to help you on. So I guess if you have that mindset, uh, there'll be a ton that you can extract from, from the corporate world on that side. 100%. Okay. Really interesting. And you've made the leap. Obviously, well, I'm assuming, because of my own experiences, even after you make the leap and you get traction, there are the moments which come up where you're like, oh, 
I can't believe I've made this mistake yeah. of, of, you know, making this leap. And there's really difficult moments, there's existential moments where it's like, you know, we're six weeks away from being fucked or, or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. You know, what goes through your mind in those moments when it's like, oh, I could be in a really, really safe career right now? Mm. Do you know what? Like, it happens even now. I'll be honest. Like, it, it happens now. The law of of safety is a big law, like, for everybody. You know, most people in life, I think, you know, give or take, want similar things. They want, like, quite a comfortable life. They want to be loved. They want to love. They want to enjoy themselves. Like, that's very easy to get in, a, in an organisation most of mm. the time. And so that law, it happens frequently. Obviously, earlier on, it happens a lot more. <laughs> and um, I think probably the biggest challenge was was a year after taking the sabbatical when you have to get back in touch with your employer right and say what you want and in my case like i i did that i said i'm not going to i'm not going to come back and um moving back to what i said earlier about like the skill set that you get from starting up your own business they said okay cool but then i got a call back 2 days later saying we actually have a new role that we'd like to offer you within the digital team and the offer that they gave me was was a mental offer and at that point I, I was I was like okay my head is is gone now like I don't know what to do like yeah, what yeah. do I do at this point and then again like I guess I've been been blessed in a way to like have good people around me to advise and I just called someone who I knew would probably give me like objective advice um and he said to me, like, do you, are you confident in yourself that that amount of money that they're offering you, you can make maybe in like three, four, five years with the business that you are doing? So I said, yeah, I'm quite confident. He's like, all right, cool, then don't take it because, mm. you know, it's very easy to sell people on a number, an immediate number. But the reality is for any entrepreneur, it's the, it's the, it's the three, four, five, six, seven years down the line that you need to think about because the difference is exponential, as mm. as you'll know. And like that's from a very granular, specific numerical lens. But then you can take any other measurement of things, which is like, you know, for me, I quite like working in opportunities. I like seeing opportunities. I like the flexibility of having something different on a day to day you struggle to get that from most organizations. Mm. Um, and so that was probably the biggest like, and then when I turned it down and then you're faced with like, flipping out, I'm working like eight till eight. And like I've forgotten to eat. I don't have any money to eat. That's when you're like, like bloody hell, I should have just done and taken that offer yeah. because life would have been so much easier. Your relationships are like a struggle because you don't have any time. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things are the reality of what, being an entrepreneur or startup or running your own business looks like. And I think I, I'm always very honest about it because one of the pieces of research we did recently was around youth entrepreneurship. And I think the stat now is that 62% of young people between the ages of 16 to 24 say that they want to run their own business. Yes, I've seen this. I think it's 62%. Yeah, yeah, it's around um, there. Maybe and even that's slightly higher. Maybe even slightly yeah. higher. And to me, that is amazing. But it's also like... <laughs> you have no idea what you're you, yourself you in know for. what you're getting yourself in for? <laughs> like, because you need to know. Yeah. Like, and you need to know the realities of it because it is flipping difficult. Yeah, 100%. So. 100%. Um, su super interesting. So, 
so many things come to mind off, off the back of what you're saying. I think uh, one of them is the need to see long term, right? Is the need to see long term as an entrepreneur and not get distracted by short term gratification. Mm. And how much has the fact that you are mission driven with the business helped within that? Because when it does come to making those sacrifices, working those hours, removing that that safety blanket, how much do you find that having mission behind what you're doing, as well as satisfying your entrepreneurial desire mm. and everything else, how much does that come into in those really challenging moments where it's like, well, no, we're doing this for a reason, not just because this is psychologically what I enjoy? Mm. It's um, it's beauty and beast, man. Like, because the beautiful thing is, with mission-driven organizations, if it were, that like you see the purpose beyond yourself, mm -hmm. right? So you see what you're building and it's hopefully greater than you. But then the curse is you're probably a bit slower to make decisions that you need to make quicker based on money. Mm. And just the reality that actually for a lot of organizations, for all organizations, whether you're a charity or not, or a, or a social enterprise or just a for-profit organization, money rules how you move. Mm. The more cash you have, the easier the business is to run. Like it, it's just a, a fact from my experience anyway. And so like, I always have this like grapple with if you were profit-driven and then mission-driven second, like how much quicker would you get to the mission? Mm. rather than being mission driven first and profit driven second yeah um, it's a good question it's a really interesting one yeah and I, I don't know the answer like you know and it obviously is very nuanced and it depends on what industry you're in and what type of business you have but I think the to answer your question more directly I guess it was a bit of a help to be able to say to myself like okay cool this is this is an idea that is beyond me mm -hmm we can take a little bit of a hit on the margin and we can take a little bit of a hit on like what we're paying ourselves because you know there is something that we're trying to solve here and there's a problem we're trying to solve here um and i guess it gives you a bit more of a headspace than when you're like deep down and dealing with numbers and looking at like your growth trajectory and like how much runway you have and all of these things that i think at the early stages of business don't matter as much because mm. it's it's kind of the risk is on you and maybe your co-founder mm. um you know so like it it really is like how badly can i live my life to keep this going like <laughs> how much know? pain am i <laughs> willing to take yeah, exactly yeah. rather than you've got staff and you're like if we have a terrible month it affects them yeah, yeah, yeah. right yeah. like and unfortunately that's the reality of business which is and it's something that i think we all as entrepreneurs probably at least need to be mindful of mm -hmm. is that you're always not the priority you're never the priority yes like you're never the priority in your business yeah. it's always other people yeah and so like i think being a bit more mission driven at the beginning helps you to kind of overcome those like hurdles i i've i've found yeah I've found. okay no that's super interesting and going back to your point about i think the responsibility that entrepreneurs have to educate the younger generation about the realities mm. of being an entrepreneur what what would you say to a young entrepreneur now who says okay i hear I hear what you're saying that it's going to be difficult but what does that actually mean mm. what does it actually mean um every every i i use the word my wife's gonna laugh but i use this word a lot nuance is important 
nuance is very important and I can only give my experience, right? Of course. And um, like, what does it mean? I think it means that it's not, do you know what? It's not even about working hard. Like anybody can work hard and you can work hard in a certain time parameter. It's working long. It's probably working not smart as well mm -hmm. because it's very hard to prioritize things as an entrepreneur. It's very hard to prioritize things when you're starting a business because you can do everything and, and nothing at the same time. So you work, you have to work long hours. Like I don't really, especially at the beginning, like I don't think, and it, from my experience, I don't think it's possible to not have a certain number of days in a week where you're working probably too many hours yep. to get something off the ground. I, 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 I don't believe it's possible. It's not possible. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> it's like, not possible. Unfortunately, the reality that we have at the moment is you have a group, you have a lot of people who speak in retrospect. So like they've become successful massively. And the easy thing to do is to say, you know, look, look after yourself and prioritize yourself. I, I completely agree. That is very important. Yeah. But it's just not a reality at the beginning of a business. It just isn't. And fundamentally, I think anybody who is pushing that agenda needs to think quite carefully about like their responsibility because they're doing it in retrospect. And the reality is they definitely were 100%. not looking after themselves at the beginning. A hundred percent. It's something which I, I talk about the whole time is the first two to three years of your company, mm. you're a robot. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's nothing beyond just wake up do whatever it is that you need to get done. Mm. If there's time for anything else, great, but don't expect there to be. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, uh, and we were just talking about this before, then the job of the founder, once you're at that tipping point, is then understanding how to unpin yourself from all these things to allow the organization to scale. Exactly. But year one through three, um, for sh well, two through three for sure, you know, it, it's, it's always going to be the way. If there's no one else to do it, you have to do it. Yeah, it can't not be done. You're wearing like every hat under the sun. Your, yeah. your, you know, your sales, your HR, your admin, your everything. Like you're literally everything in an in what you see as in an organization and all of the different departments and all of the different people in the same department as well. You're all of those people. And you probably don't know anything about and those departments. And you don't know anything about well. anything. <laughs> you do not. You're literally just winging it all the way. You're googling stuff. You're you're doing it all right. Yes. And and. You know, until you can relinquish some of that, you know, in my case, for example, I have a co-founder. I have a very good friend as a co-founder. So we're able to move along together in that journey. And in some respect, and we probably found this out way too late. So, you know, in some respect, you can delegate things to each other and you can have your own separation where you're dealing with certain parts of the business. Yeah. Hopefully to your strengths as well. And if you do that well, then it takes off some of the pressure. Um, you know, if you have a good close group of friends around you that might support you, but again, it comes with its own territory of issue where like, you know, you're working with a big group of friends. So probably you're letting things slip and slide a little bit because mm -hmm. you might be having a bit of banter and enjoying it along the way. So yeah, it's, it's, it's push and pull, it's give and take. But the one thing I'd say is, I, you know, I say this all the time and I, and I, and I wouldn't change this for myself is put yourself in um you know you might disagree but like put yourself in an environment where you can learn fast like yeah wherever wherever it is like whether it's an, an organization in a similar industry to where you want to be in your startup or whether there's like specific facets of any other organization that you can learn from 
do it. And most importantly, again, depending on where you are, be quite open with what you do on the, on the outside. Because mm-hmm. to me at least, and it might not be the same for other um, employers, but if I'm seeing that someone has more skills to their armory than just their basic CV and where they went to uni or where they did an apprenticeship or what grades they got at A-level, and I can see that you've you know, created your own experience by starting something up, but you want to take a step back from that or you want to do it on the side. To me, I, I find that way more impressive than someone who I'm just looking at their grades. Uh, and like so so just be open with it and 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 that's what i would say i think like trying to find experience where experience already exists or making your own is 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 important because then you start to learn the mistakes before you start your own thing in earnest Mm. and i think as well more and more so with the threat of automation um having more strings to your bow mm. even if you're never intending to go full time on your side project but having something which makes you look more retainable more well-rounded to your employer mm. is only going to be a good thing 100%. i think when you if you go too narrow over the next 10 15 years you, you're the risk of being replaced by some technology increases exponentially yeah. having that breadth of experience where you're doing something entrepreneurial work you know helping a friend with their startup whatever it might be i think that's the way to really pro- for individuals to really protect themselves and their future earning potential so c- couldn't agree with you more on that couldn't agree with you more on that okay so there's a, a few questions not quick fire or anything we, we'll go <laughs> through these like over 15 minutes or whatever um that i'd love to ask you quickly though on, on. you see on your point around automation yes where do you think because i i find this is a conversation fascinating like do you think that automation reduces the workforce in terms of number Uh, absolutely not in terms of it doesn't reduce the workforce it reduces the amount of jobs available to the workforce and i think within 20 years time uh there'll be lots of new jobs but the amount of new jobs that come through mm. will be nowhere near the amount of jobs that are lost okay. because of automation. And I think, um, I made this prediction on this podcast about four months ago. Mm. I said within 12 months, you'll see the first anti-AI protests and demonstrations. And ha- it's already gone with, yeah. uh, and it's been one of the most high profile one you can with the Screen Actors Guild, mm. right? And the fact that they're already now not going to work because of the threat of AI. Mm. And this is within, um, you know, one of the most public industries, let alone industries where automation can happen in a, uh, a way where people are much less aware of it. But I, I genuinely believe within 18 months from now, you will have the first anti-AI riots mm. uh, because people can't get work in the way that they used to. Mm. And it's... Um, Ironically, the best paid jobs, the ones that automation will come in first. Mm. Um, so probably the most defensible jobs are the incredibly manual ones. Uh, but even then, with the way that robotics are improving, yeah, like, yeah. it's it's an, inevita- it's an inevitability for mm. me. The question is, how do we respond to it? And I think there are, I, I really think where um, some companies are going to be the big winners of AI and not just the companies bringing through the automation, like the, the chat GPTs, whatever. It's actually going to be companies which allow users to monetize oh, their data and their attention. Yeah. Because that's something which we all have in spades, right? So I think you're going to have, you know, if TikTok figure that out, if, uh, and I think they'll be the first to do that. that mm. That's my feeling, is if they are allowing you to monetize 
when you consume content that that's basically ubi that's basically universal basic income mm. right i will get paid for watching tiktok and i i, I see that's where it's going to be in, in five six years time it's it's really interesting hearing that um uh, yeah i wait i think i've seen to your point you start to see automation affect people so like my my wife's a writer mm -hmm. so like she'll get stuff through ask her to write like you know courses and or, or itineraries for travel and things like that and she started to see within that part of her business less and less work over the last year yeah because you know in her in her opinion she feels like people are just using chat gbt for certain yeah. things or, or other ai tools um but to your to your last point i think it's the opportunity that often gets lost in these conversations which is yeah there are there's probably like a, a, a delta where there's going to be a decrease in jobs as we know it. Mm -hmm. But what's the opportunity on the other side? Like, yeah. which is where I think, you know, for, for young people who are, you know, talking about starting businesses and all of these kinds of things, they are always going to be the early adopters yes. in any technological shift. And that's where I find a fascination in like where the, the kind of like the democratization of technology and who is going to get to like be the early adopters and who's going to make the most money yeah, from yeah. that. And, um, and I think the next few years is going to be the best time ever for entrepreneurs to make money because mm. of the way that we're going to be able to scale our businesses with AI. Mm. So within two years, you're not going to need a sales force. You're not going to need a customer service team because everything will be totally conversational yeah, AI, right? Yeah. So from... Uh, from my perspective as a business owner, for example, I have so much more scalability, much better profit margins, everything else. The worry is more like in six years, if no one's got money, who's buying? Mm. But even, it's funny, obviously the the most used examples is content creators yeah. being uh, cannibalized by ChatGPT. But I had knee surgery six weeks ago mm. and I was going to um, do like 20 physio sessions with my physio. And I got ChatGPT to build me a rehab plan day by day ah. by, by exercise. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like that's literally two grand or whatever that I didn't spend with the physio. Yeah. And I, all of my aftercare, rather than booking in with my expensive surgeon, ChatGPT. So I already see how I'm using it in a way to save my money. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, you know, if if I'm doing it, if I'm doing that, and this is, you know, ultimately money I'm not spending that's going to be the future, right? Your initial is going to be like, well, how can I solve it elsewhere? So that's not to say there won't be occasions where you need to spend that money with yeah. an individual because it's something really you've niche done, or like... Or, or you've done the exercises wrong. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Um, but, but you know, my my go-to is going to be, well, how can I solve this in, in a free and instant way? And it's not even necessarily about it being free. It's more, I couldn't get the initial physio appointment for four days I want to start physio now. Yeah, yeah. you know, so it's it's. I, I yeah, I can see it. I can see it happening quickly. We could probably talk about Was this it, for yeah, five exactly. hours. Yeah, right? another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so some questions for you. What's the single biggest risk you've ever taken, and what was the outcome? Um, single biggest risk. I, I think probably the biggest risk was leaving my job, because mm -hmm. um, it was comfortable very comfortable like i could wake up at like 8 15 because it was around near my house as well wake up at 8 15 and just get to the office yeah. by like 9 or 902 <laughs> um it was comfortable and i think like you 
you look back and you're like, wow, the last six years have been very uncomfortable. But that's, to me, is where people need to be more in, the uncomfortable mm. zone. I think someone, someone, oh, what is it? Someone said to me, if you're coasting, you can only coast downhill. Ooh, I like right? that. And so to me, I'm like, that. you can't coast uphill. So you need to be uncomfortable, like constantly comfortable, uncomfortable, 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 so that you don't coast. Because there's only one way you're going if you're coasting. Mm. And like, you can look at that in so many different ways. But I think like taking risks to put, I mean, to, to coin the name of your podcast, like it should be every day that people are taking risks, like wh however big or small they are, mm. um, to get into that kind of like growth mindset area of life where you know you start to remove the things that you just the known knowns like you know you're good at something so normally people just revert to type and keep doing that but what about the unknown known the unknowns like what about things that you don't know you're good at and you're only going to discover them by by taking risks so the outcome of the risk the biggest risk i took probably is you know being able to understand those kind of concepts because i don't think you I, I don't think when you're in a kind of like you're wheel in a cog i don't think it's very easy to not have to think outside of that yeah because it's comfortable um so yeah like beyond the quote-unquote successes of the organization the freedom and flexibility the beautiful nature of entrepreneurship that you can grow a team and you can build a team who have a similar mission to you and you can pay them and you can like create ultimately jobs and do something with a very good friend of yours. Like beyond that, there's also the like life learnings and lessons mm. and places that you get put into and having the reality that like, yeah, every day is quite uncomfortable and that's, that's amazing. Love that. That's it. I think it's an amazing response. And the point you made earlier, which is I think is a really, really good one is you felt that because your money number was less, because you didn't have dependents, you didn't have a mortgage at that time, obviously your ability to take that risk was much greater or you were able to do it at an earlier stage. Yeah. And I think it's such an important lesson that the longer you leave it before taking the, the risk, the harder it gets, 100%. right? 100%. Like, it's, it's that conundrum where, like, people, I feel like a lot of people will say, you know, like, get to a certain stage where you've got a lot of money and then take the risk. But normally, if you do that, your dependencies grow. So like whether it's you've got children or whether it's you've got a mortgage or you want to, you know, you want to move out of your parents so you want to have rent or you've got a mortgage. or Your like, lifestyle looks like, different yeah, as well. Exactly, right. exactly. Your lifestyle looks different. When you're 23, 24, you can live a bit you know, bummy. Yeah. Like you can do you <laughs> you can you can take those risks more. So yeah, for me it worked out. Like I didn't have, you know, that much of a dependency, you know, fortunate and blessed enough to to have an environment where I can live with my parents at back at home so I don't have to pay rent. Like so yeah, like whatever that looks like for you as an individual, find that earlier than later. Because yeah, like the idea for me now if I was still in an organization, the idea of leaving what would be like a repeatable income when, you know, I've got a child on the way and I've yes. got a mortgage and I've got all, like, that would be 
really scary. Yeah, 100%. And a lot scarier than it was before. And I think, you know, if you set up a cadence in your personal life and personal relationships, um, it's difficult to make that switch at a later stage, right? Um, it's a really interesting one. And one of my favorite sayings is the best time to do it was 10 years ago. The next best time is today. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know? Um, so, okay, really, really cool. Nice one. Um, is there anything you wish you did differently? Um... Don't want to give like some philosophical answer and say no. no feel free, no, because of the butterfly effect <laughs> and all of that nonsense. But <laughs> I do, I do believe though. Before I get onto my response, <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that I'm very firm believer that like everything, broadly speaking, happens for like a reason. There's often like a a cause and effect of the way things go, um, and whether that's you know. A, a faith or religion or whether you just think that like you know that I, I firmly believe believe that um and so like i don't like changing i don't like the idea of changing things because you never know what's going to happen down yes. the down the way but one thing i think i would say because i think it hopefully would help people and helps myself to remember is if you if you do have a co-founder or if you do have someone who's supporting you or whatever, very quickly work out your strengths and your weaknesses and delineate the responsibilities to, based on those strengths and weaknesses like as early as possible. Because the thing we spoke about, about you're everything, you're wearing all these hats and you're trying to learn and you're trying to bullshit your way through will be a bit easier if you trust each other that like, okay, cool, well, you're really good at writing so you can write you know our website copy and, and all of that kind of stuff you're good at numbers so you handle the finances and don't try and do everything together mm -hmm. because it's just a advice. waste of time it's such yeah. a waste of time like we have um we have a saying in the organization which is um based on our work diversity is a reality and inclusion is a choice and the world in its nature is a diverse world whether we as an organization or an industry or people decide to include the reality of that diversity is our choice. And um, I had this like mentorship session. I was last year, I was part of the marketing academy. So I got a scholarship to, to do this course. And one of the mentors was like, that's your phrase, right? You keep talking to me about this problem with prioritization. Well, time is a reality and prioritization is a choice. And that mantra is so fundamental to like the way that you live la your life. Like you, we all have 24 hours in a day as Molly May once said, <laughs> um, <laughs> we all have 24 hours in a day. We have the same 24 hours, but whether you choose to spend that time in the way that you, you know you need to is your choice. Mm. And I'm so terrible at prioritizing. I'll, I'm that kind of person that does the easier things first, right? But like if you, the more you keep living by that mantra that the better you will be at making the decisions you need to make quicker. And the best way to do that is like by realizing that 24 hours call was 48 hours if there are two of us. Yeah. And so like you do that and I do this. Like that would be like, I would wish I we knew that earlier. hundred percent. hundred percent. I had the same, my last business had a co-founder and you know, we were, guess in the sort of age when to you guys when you were starting with we 22 23 years mm. old and we were trying to do too much of the same thing and it was just we didn't do a good enough job of, of that delineation and really prioritizing what we were both best at separately 
Um, mm. And it's it's tough for the co-founder model, especially when, you know, for example, you're both commercially minded. Yeah. Um, when you've got one who's like totally technology, one's commercial, super easy, right? Mm. The, the lines mm. are very, very clear. But yeah, I, I think that's a really great mm. advice. Um, and I also really love the idea of, of uh, what was this? It was time is reality. Prioritization is a choice. Is a choice. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. I love that. And one of the things that I found as a, a founder and maybe this is something I had my whole life anyway, is the guilt that comes with procrastination. Mm. I don't know about you, but when, when I, for me, so I've got my to-do list every single day. I live and die by that to-do list. The impact it has psychologically on me when I've got something there, which I know I should be doing, should be prioritizing, but not. Mm. Like, honestly, it has such a big impact on me. So I find that um, trying to remove that procrastination and be really proactive that impact for that on my anxiety, on guilt, and all those other things, massive. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you use, um? do you know something called the Pomodoro method? No. So like, for anybody who struggles to like, I, I'm the kind of person that I'll have a to-do list, <laughs> but it's like a hundred okay. no, like lines long. So it's never gonna it's happen. It's never gonna happen. Right. But like, so the idea of the Pomodoro method is you do, you can get an app. I think it's called like Timekeeper on the App Store or something. And you set your your time parameters. So you do one task for 20 minutes and you don't do anything else. So you don't check emails. You don't check BBC Sport. Da, 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 da. You literally just do that one task, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. You can set it yourself. And then after that, you have a five-minute break. And in that five minutes, normally they say like, get up, stretch your legs or whatever, go have a glass of water. Or procrastinate like okay. purposeful procrastination yeah then another 15 to 20 minutes five minutes 15 to 20 minutes five minutes and then you have like a bigger 10 to 15 minute break and for me i think that's been like well when i use it it's been like very helpful because what you find is to the to the question of like the guilt is someone in your team or someone might email you and you you think you have to respond immediately mm-hmm. And so therefore you respond immediately, then you forget what you're doing, you go back. That task that you've been doing at first will take you a whole day because there's constant interruptions. So the better you can get at removing any interruption, the quicker you do that task, then you can go on to that interruption. Yeah. Then you can do another, t- like when I use it, <laughs> it's so helpful and I always forget it's, to use it. No, it's really, really good. And I think it's, um, it's interesting. Like. When I when connected was a bit earlier and same with the first few days, first few years of real sport, although I had to do so much, because as mm. you said, you're wearing all the hats, actually ability to do it is a bit easier, like boxing off the time. I find now that we're at like seventy people globally, it's just like that mm. ability it's just I have no time. Mm. <laughs> I just think mm. like focus time is so difficult. But it's something that I'm very much on that journey right now and you know, when you're a leader, right, is you really start to understand and learn more about yourself. And ultimately, the culture that you build is a reflection of what's going 100%. on up here. You know, so it's it's a really interesting one. Yeah. Uh, again, we could probably speak about that for a couple <laughs> hours. Uh, my next question for you is, uh, what makes you proudest? I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one. I think I want to be really specific with, like... I. I it's the longevity, you know. I think that's like what makes me the most proud of what we've done within this business anyway. I'm like proud of other things, of course, outside of the business, but it's just it's just the longevity of it. Like 
I feel like only this year is when I feel like we've achieved to the to where I feel like we should be. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I think, you know, previous years you can give yourself a pat on the back and you should. And I think it's also very difficult. It's also important to always remember like what you wanted the year before, the year before that, because when you get it, it's, it's as humans, you want to just like, okay, cool. What's next? But yeah. like, so, so I, I caveat what I've just said with that. But um, when you, when you look back, when I look back anyway, I'm always like, wow, you could have done a lot more. And there's probably times where it would have been easier to just kind of like give up or for it to just fall by the wayside or what have you. But to have now been doing some form of iteration of the business for 10 years mm-hmm. is something that I'm just like, wow, that's a long fucking time. Huge commitment. Like, Huge commitment. Yeah. Like we were 21 when we started, you know, and life has happened like loss wins like everything's happened in between and we're still here like and not only we're still here but we're in probably like the most prosperous year we've had and i think that's probably the proudest thing that i that i can look back on and say like you've given you've done you've had a good innings and you're and you're still here and you're still like prime and ready and like in a in a growth phase and um still have the hunger and the passion and desire to make something of this um and and it's cool because you know like most people still to this day probably don't understand like the in in the workings of the business they see the the aesthetic and they they think they know and they're like oh like how's how's that thing going <laughs> you're like yeah it's actually quite good to be honest <laughs> like it's quite good it's going well and um you know, we've had that for for the whole time we've been doing it. And I think like being able to get to this stage without compromising who you are and being still your quote unquote bullshit buzzword authentic self Mm -hmm. and like being able to create like jobs and lives for people whilst doing something of value and having fun along the way for 10 years is like, I'm very proud of. Amazing. No, and you should be. You know, it's so easy for when times to get tough um to people's cop out mm, you know it's, yeah. it's easy right and amazing to see that after 10 years you you've still got that growth as you said you know it's the fact that you're, this year has been your best year and you feel like you're on the cusp of so many amazing things mm. and um i think like you say keeping motivation for the same project for that length of time is is really tough mm-hmm. really tough I've, I've never been able to do that <laughs> um, it's difficult yeah never been able to do that so that, that's amazing okay my second to last question mm-hmm. for you is what does it take to be successful um what does it take to be successful understanding what success looks like to you very first and foremost um everybody's got different measurements of what success is and i think as a society, we sh- we need to lower the the barrier of what we view as success, mm. um, because I think um, 
most people, most young people have quite like a, a singular minded view of successful people. You know, you go on the street and you ask someone what's a successful person and they'll probably say Elon Musk and like Martin Zuckerberg and all these billion, multi-billionaires. And, you know, I think to me, we, we actually did a research project on success. Oh, yeah. Quite okay. interestingly. And the most interesting answers I found were like, my mum's a successful person, my dad's a successful person, my brother's a successful person because, you know, I don't know, they've beaten the odds and they've, mm. my, my brother's graduated with a PhD just now, he's a doctor now, like, that's a, that's successful, you know, like, most things, navigating life is tough and most people in this world are successful people just by virtue of navigating life. Like, yeah. that's, that's what I think that's like, perfectly do you know what I mean? like what's that what's the odds of like you being born like do you know it's what the I most mean? impressive <laughs> thing any one yeah, of us will ever do is just be born. here yeah, 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 you know like that's a success so I think first and foremost we've got a, we've got a a understand what your definition of success is as a person and then be like lower that and then I think C is to probably just like is to not not change not change how you get to whatever you, that definition is um not well not change yourself mm -hmm. to get to that definition mm -hmm. if you can remain like remain yourself like be yourself not compromise that not have to change you like and and still get to that definition of success to me that's very successful mm. as well um, you know, yeah, it's a it's a tough one because to like for me personally, what yeah. success looks like for me personally has actually just changed as I've grown older and probably will change tomorrow. Yes, you know, but goalposts always move. The goalposts right? move. The goalposts move. But I think the one thing that I've always wanted uh, to, to be successful is just to be able to provide, um, like a good life for my loved ones you know, and whatever that looks like, good good health, you know, good wealth, prosperity, but the wealth just to allow them to live life and like mm -hmm. have the experiences that they should on this earth. And so like, if I can, and again, it's not my sole duty to do it, but if I can be a provider of allowing that to happen for me and my loved ones, then, you know, I'm, I feel like I, you know, I'm successful. Yeah. Uh, and that's my definition. And so like, yeah, I think it's very important to, understand yours and then you know be be hyper focused on on it without without changing yourself love that all right last one for you mm -hmm. your 15 year old self walks in the room right now mm -hmm. what are you gonna tell him uh i'll tell him keep selling those donuts <laughs> like keep keep at it because <laughs> it's because it's gonna help you um and uh and keep being disruptive like it, it's funny because we so um last week we we got nominated for this award and the title's Disruptor of the Year. Okay. And um, like the other day I was looking through, my mum and dad have kept like this massive folder of all my like school reports, parents detentions, evening. parents yeah. evenings, all of that, like letters I wrote to them saying sorry. And like the one word that was like, you know, fairly consistent amongst many others was like disruptive in class or like, you know, prefers to have a laugh rather than la rather than learning or has great potential but but you know and so 
that word, and it's quite similar to my business partner, actually, that word disruptor or disruptive has such a different meaning when we were in school to like now where everything is like, you know, be a disruptor and be yeah. challenging and all of these things. So I'd, I would just say keep on being you and like, you know, it, it will it will pay dividends. Like it will pay dividends because, you know, if you conform to something else, maybe you won't take risks. Maybe you won't want to like, start a business when you have a bit of a of, of, of comfort um really like lean into your innate personality because i think when people do that that's where they win better and win quicker for themselves mm. um so yeah i would just say keep doing what you're doing just keep being keep being annoying to people <laughs> but probably probably also i would say um like really understand that like understand networks as well like mm -hmm. it's very important to like keep in contact with people and not for any particular reason but you just don't know where it's gonna help yeah down the line yeah um and that's been that's been very important for me personally like the ability to to get on with people the ability to have conversations with people of every and any walk of life is vital, I think, for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, keep keep putting yourself out of your comfort zone. Actually that's that's probably one change I'd say. I'd say like challenge yourself, like to challenge the status quo of what you think, you know, fifteen year old should look like or be like or like, you know, what they should like. Change change that mentality and just do you. Like keep doing you. Amazing. That's probably what I say. Amazing. Thank you so much. What do you want to plug? What do I want to plug? <laughs> um, I feel like I should plug new music, but I'm not a musician. Um, <laughs> what well, do I want to plug? New music. What do I, might not be involved new music. Yeah, I might not be involved in it. No, what do I want to plug? That's an interesting question. Um, I want to plug. Where can this, people find you? I'll plug this podcast because I, I really like it. I, yeah. I like the idea of 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 taking risks and like challenging yourself to do it on a more frequent basis. So I'll plug this podcast. Um, I'll plug. Word on the curb in general as an organization. If you are um, an organization or an individual that wants to better engage with millennial, minority, or Gen Z demographics, then come to us because no other agency will do it as good. Uh, and we do that through insight and we use the insight to then inform creative strategies. So, yeah, give us a shout. Amazing. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, man. Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.